they said very strongly, you know, the things that they've done. Did you see that? The level of stupidity is incredible. And the whole world's talking about it. I know words, I have the best words. I'm telling you. There's no word like that. Welcome to the Troublesome Terps, the podcast that is covering some truly uncomfortable topics, such as the current president of the United States. It doesn't really get a lot more uncomfortable than that. Now, unfortunately, Mr. Downey couldn't make it today, but in his stead, we have yet another guest joining us today. Franz Kubacik, a German-English interpreter from Cologne, Germany, who, as we have just been informed, might have a BBC incident tonight. And if you don't know what that means, go on YouTube and find it out. Now, he has actually interpreted Donald Trump many a times and is here to join us uh, today to share his first-hand experience. Welcome, Franz. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Pleasure to have you. Thanks. Now, also joining us, as usual, is Alex Drexel. Alex, and if you listeners don't know that, is actually working in Donald Trump's absolute nemesis, the European Union. So, Alex, how does it feel to work right in Trump's crosshairs? Yeah, Alex, I really appreciate the hair-related pun you put into the introduction. Much appreciated. But uh, it is, of course, a lot of fun to be a nemesis or to be associated with the nemesis of Donald Trump. I think I'm fine with that. I bet sometimes it gets a bit hairy, though, doesn't it? Oh, it does, yes. But it's a tremendous pleasure, usually. <laughs> now, of course, I'm here as well, Alex Gansmeyer, the other Alex. And before we get things going, I just want to assure you all listening today that this is going to be the best podcast ever. Believe me, <laughs> it's totally true. Everybody knows it. It's going to be a tremendous episode. Believe me. <laughs> all right. Now, that out of the way, uh, before we jump into the real nitty-gritty France, how did you actually wind up being the German voice for the Donald? Um, yeah, that might have been the result of uh, the work of a good colleague of mine, of ours, uh, another interpreter here from Cologne, uh, Frank Deja, who's a very, very experienced um, interpreter and who was the German voice many, many times of uh, Barack Obama and also of his uh, predecessor, George W. Bush, um, during the inauguration and um, other events. And uh, for this year's inauguration, he couldn't make it because he was already booked for another TV station. And so he recommended they could ask me. And it started even a bit earlier. I think when we first met, I think we met in 2008 for the first time. And right away, we jumped into the roles of Barack Obama, that was him, and John McCain, that was me, during a presidential debate. And then some years later, we met again. Um, and, well, he recommended my services to uh, Antifa, a German news station. And um, they gave it a try. And obviously, it seems to have uh, worked pretty well. And so I got the opportunity um, again and again to work for them and also um, work together with Frank and um, other colleagues of ours during the um, election campaign. So we did the democratic uh, pre-election debates and we did 
the pre-election debates of the Republican Party, not all of them, there were many, but some. And this was basically the start of it. And in the end, it led to me interpreting Trump uh, a couple of times. And by now, I think it has been a dozen times, something like that. And the, well, highlight, if you want to call it that, um, <laughs> was the inauguration of Donald Trump on 20th of January, which I had uh, the great pleasure and honor to do um, in the RRD, which is a huge German news uh, and TV station. And yeah, that's basically it. And so now I'm regularly asked if there is a press conference, for example, or if Miss Merkel visits Donald Trump uh, to have the, let's call it, pleasure to uh, interpret the guy. And it sounds like you, yeah, you said you, you also interpreted for the Democratic uh, yeah, debates, I think. Did you feel the burn or were you more <laughs> leaning towards somebody <laughs> else? Well, politically, I, I could say I felt the burn somewhat. Um, uh, that was a rather interesting candidate. And back then we thought... Ah, but he wouldn't stand a chance if he had to go head-to-head -head with Donald Trump. Mm. Since we now know how things went out with Hillary, um, it might probably have been the better uh, option to see Bernie Sanders running against Donald Trump because he also had a somewhat emotional following, which Hillary doesn't really seem to have still. So, yeah, um, I myself didn't really interpret Bernie Sanders. I think I did Martin O'Malley and I did the the the, um, the guy who worked for the news station, so the anchor, and then later Hillary. Um, but since they now have a male president, obviously they want to have a male interpreter for his voice. And so on the one hand, I would have preferred to have Hillary Clinton as president, but on the other hand, for me personally, as an interpreter, it might have been not the best option because then they wouldn't ask me, they would ask a female colleague of mine. So in a way, I benefit as an interpreter from the fact that Mr. Trump is now the president, which I personally don't really um, favor as the best option. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, be before we talk about the Donald. Um, I'm just interested a little bit in the practical sides of media interpreting, I think. So what, what does it look like for those of us who haven't done this? Do you sit in a booth? Do you sit somewhere in, a, in, in another room? Or I mean, what, what does the practical side look like? Well, at uh, the most uh, occasions I interpreted for German news TV, I sat and still sit and will in following um, interpreting assignments in a little room, which is like a booth. So you have there, um, you have two chairs and you have your desk and you have two monitors. On one, you can see the TV feed and on the um, other monitor, you see basically the feed that you are to uh, interpret. Mm -hmm. And depending on the occasion, Uh, I work there alone if it's just a short press conference and it's just 20 or 30 minutes and that's it. Or if I'm on standby, as was, for example, the case now during the events that unfortunately took place in London. They wanted yeah. to have someone there because they there were um, witnesses uh, from time to time or guys from Scotland Yard who uh, gave an update on the status and that's something that they wanted to have interpreted. 
And for the debates, for example, with uh, the two presidential candidates, uh, with Hillary and Donald, um, I was accompanied, obviously, by a female colleague. And so we split up and she interpreted Hillary and I did Donald Trump. Yeah, on that note, you, in the preparation to the podcast, sent us another podcast that you did with two of your colleagues for the VDR, another German station. And in that podcast, which was tremendous, by the way, um, you guys were doing the, the best. It was <laughs> the best, totally. Um, but in that podcast, you guys were doing one of the um, primaries debates for the Republican Party. So I think it was a, a Jeb Bush. There we go. Jeb Bush and the Donald and then the anchor. How did that go for you guys? Because it actually sounded like you, like the three of you the, as interpreters were in the same room and were, you know, kind of going in one microphone or were you sitting in, in separate rooms? How, how does that work if you actually have to do such a lively debate? and kind of interrupt each other and, and play off of each other in a way to get the energy across? Well, uh, first of all, yes, we sat together next to each other in one room. I think each of us had a headset, so uh, we had three different microphones. And the thing was, it wasn't really live. So they, uh, they recorded the original primary debate from the U.S., And I think that took place on a Saturday evening in the US. And then us three, my colleagues, Alina, Frank, and I, we were there at the TV station the entire Sunday. So we started in the morning. We could basically listen to the debate and then um, stop it if we had to. And we basically did it in different sections. So along the timeline, the original um, TV broadcast had with their um, interruptions for TV commercials, for example. So there were, I think, about three or four uh, parts in that debate. And we could prepare somewhat so we could listen to it and make notes uh, for those parts that were rather technical or rather tricky. And so it wasn't entirely live. Um, but we did it still... Um, in one go. So it was like uh, if one section was uh, 20 minutes long, we did those 20 minutes in a row without basically um, breaking off or basically doing a pause. And we had, and that's the context basically, a very lively debate. So uh, there was this, um, this, I'd say, this verbal uh, fight uh, between uh, Donald Trump and Jeb Bush, for example. And the thing is that um, we also had to do basically the same in German. So we basically had really to go at each other and um, be rather unpolite with each other, which you would normally never do with a good colleague and good friend of yours. But that was the thing that we had to do in order to really capture that that energy and that, that spirit of this lively spirit of that debate. And so we, we were really basically... Um, racking it up so uh, that was that was uh, well it was quite fun actually to do that because uh, both of my colleagues and I um, were quite into that so we're not shying away we're not the guys um, uh, to say ah I don't want to do that and I can't do that because it's sort of like it, it it's just fun to do it actually because you just need a whole lot of lot of energy and you you need to quarrel someone and that's that's um, yeah I like that 
It's almost a little bit uh, like acting, I suppose. It is. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and acting is actually um, uh, the right thing to mention here, because if you interpret someone just like Donald Trump, for example, whom you usually, I'd say, disagree with, then it's like um, an actor who's probably a decent person playing the villain in a movie. He has to play this bad person who's doing bad things and uh, saying bad things. And after that, it was just a role and he's back to his normal decent self. And that's basically what you have to do if you interpret personalities like, I'd say, Donald Trump or also other leaders that we well know of have sort of the same temperament and style and, and macho-like behavior. But I think that's exactly the, the I, I think the problem that uh, is reflected in many of the articles that are out there about, you know, translation or how to translate or interpret Donald Trump is that apparently there are interpreters and, and translators who, who find it difficult to uh, adopt a role or to to be different from their usual usual character or usual self. Um, so, so maybe it's not something that everybody can do or not easily, at least. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you, you shouldn't be afraid uh, of being in the spotlight, at least acoustically, if you can't be seen, but you can be heard. So if that is really something you feel uncomfortable with, you probably are not the best option to do that. Um, my colleague, uh, Frank, whom I mentioned, uh, mentioned a great German term for that, which is called Rampensau, which means actually someone who <laughs> likes to go out there on stage and be at the center of the attention. And you need, I'd say, um, a bit of that or quite a decent bit of that in order to, to do interpreting uh, with such personalities who obviously um, feel like they are the center of the world. You don't have to feel like you're the center of the world because you're not. You're an interpreter. But it helps yeah. uh, if if you're willing to not just go along um, verbally and do your interpreting job, but also be a bit of an actor in that way, yes. Yeah, and, and I think the only thing I can compare it to in my line of work is, uh, although I don't work in the European Parliament myself, but I think that's a, a chamber where you definitely get, uh, shall we say, colorful people like, you know, Berlusconi, calling Martin Schulz names uh, in a plenary meeting or stuff like that. Um, that that's probably the, the closest you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, I quite compare it to, to motivational speaking because in that way you also kind of have to act because you might not necessarily be motivated, but if you don't transfer the mood or the thoughts of that person, you're kind of losing the whole point. And I think it's probably the same with Donald Trump. So if you kind of smoothed out the wrinkles, if that were even possible, um, then you would lose half of, of what it is about. And I think that's also one of my questions um, because I don't know, some of the listeners might have read a couple of these articles that are out there and there are literally dozens of them. Um, one article which came out, I think it was at the end of last year in the LA Review of Books, it was an interview with a French colleague, and I'm probably going to butcher her name, um, Berengère Viennot. And in that article, it was an interview with her, she said um, that she really struggled with interpreting Trump just because he's such a chaotic speaker and, um, you know, he's always ha having very disjointed thoughts and it's 
just speaking all over the place and French is just too structured for uh, just as a general language is too structured for this chaotic way of speaking. Now, how about German, Franz? Because I think German is probably relatively structured as well. So do you find it very difficult to interpret Donald Trump, even though his terminology might not be very tough, but the way he speaks is just all over the place? Um, yeah, that, and that's the interesting thing. Yes, his terminology is not that difficult, and that might make it appear as if it were easy to interpret him. But it's just as you said, he's not a coherent speaker. So you can very, well, you, you can't really anticipate him. So with, I'd say, traditional speakers like his predecessor, Barack Obama, and other politicians, they have a certain line that they follow when they speak and you basically can already guess what the end of the sentence will be or the end of the phrase if he starts. That's not the case with Trump and that's basically the tricky part because if he says something, he then he probably hears what he has said, thinks of something else and says something completely different. And it's a bit it's a bit difficult to follow, really to 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 right stay right behind him. And that's, yeah, that's the tricky part. It's not the terminology. It's not that he uses eloquent language and very, very long sentences and it's all rather complicated and rather sophisticated. That's not the point at all, as we all know. But, yeah, not being able to know what he will say next and then also trying to figure out if he really just said what he actually said, which also is something that happens always with Trump, um, that makes it a bit tricky. The best thing is, if you heard something that, that's unbelievable, he couldn't possibly have said that in, I'd say, 90% uh, of 90 of the time, he did actually say that, as, as, my, as my colleague put it uh, in this other podcast, yeah. We're all trying to figure out if he's actually saying what he's saying, because nobody can believe it. <laughs> But you know, the funny thing is, he said himself, and this was in an interview at the end of last year, that he actually has these beautiful flowing sentences <laughs> where the back of the yeah. sentence reverts to the front and, you know, the press just mangles everything that he says. So he believes himself to be one of the great speakers of our times, I guess. You know he has words. He has the best words. I think he really believes that. I think he, he, in his in his mind he really believes that he is the best. He is the greatest. He is the one and only. And everyone who thinks different just doesn't get it. And and that's exactly the point. I mean, everyone basically knows that. And most people or everyone knows certain facts in life which he doesn't seem to know. When he said. Nobody knew that healthcare was so complicated. <laughs> Everybody I did. Stop, I couldn't stop laughing, uh, and as well as, as Bernie Sanders, who couldn't stop laughing neither, because, well, everyone, literally everyone knew that, but you didn't, Mr. President. So that's, yeah, that, that, that's his problem, really. He, he doesn't have a clear structure of thought, I'd say, and therefore he doesn't have a clearly structured way to speak. Now, I'm wondering, Franz, if you would uh, also adapting sort of your your technique, your interpreting technique. So, um, or, or maybe that that wasn't a deliberate process of of doing that, or maybe you just caught yourself working a little bit differently from what you would usually do. Like, for example, using a longer decalage or ear ear voice pen, for example, to kind of at least try to see where he's going. Mm, yes and no, because 
waiting for too long or waiting too long until you figured out what his thought might be is not really an option because uh, as you both well know, you have to say something. Otherwise, the, um, the listeners will think, oh, there's something wrong. I cannot hear the interpreter. Especially uh, in media, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that shouldn't really be an option uh, that you would like to go for. Um, I think you might adapt um, unwillingly to, to in, in getting a bit more chaotic yourself and not speaking in that structured manner that you usually do. Hmm. And also beginning to insult people. <laughs> that also helps. Um, well, if you're willing to insult your colleagues and um, speaking just like you think he would speak, using few words and saying bigly and believe me and whatever, then, yeah, it's not something you would usually do. And you really have to take care not to do that with other um with other speakers it's it's something rather unique whereas not unique in a positive way but yeah that's that's the case now there was actually a researcher from the university of berkeley who was talking about um you know trump's style of speaking which is well some might call it elliptical others might call it erratic but he was saying that He's intentionally not finishing thoughts, allowing the audience to finish his thoughts themselves, which kind of brings them more into the narrative. I'm not sure I believe that's correct, but that makes the job a lot harder for us because, of course, if he doesn't finish a thought, how do you interpret that? How do you interpret an incomplete thought and have the same effect come across as much as possible, I would assume, in, in the interpretation? This is, I guess, open to discussion because I don't know if there is an answer to that. Well, the best thing would probably be to do exactly the same thing in your language. So uh, start a thought without finishing it, although that is something that you basically are drilled not to do. So it, it would also require a certain kind of discipline uh, in order to be uh, undisciplined in a certain manner. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Alex, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think I would probably try to do the same um although it, it it really doesn't come easy to us i mean exactly as you said franz that um we, we get this thing trained out of us that um you can have an unfinished sentence you, you can't have that at, at um at university you, you always have to end your sentences and you always have to be sort of correct and so on and so forth and i, I think that that's probably the big challenge to throw that overboard and um to really go with the flow and try to, as you explained earlier, try to channel the speaker um, in a way and then try to get the same effect across in your own language, which which isn't easy. So, uh, but that brings me to, to um, a related question, I think, um, because we, we joked about this with the word tremendous in the beginning, but some of his words are almost, uh, almost, words that he that he uses like a brand or that he keeps using again and again and again and they become sort of hallmarks for his way of speaking so i was wondering if you had well i guess a, a kind of glossary like a terminology list for these words like tremendous or something to be to be able to translate them consistently or, or was that even something that came up 
Well, so far, actually, it didn't. Um, it's an interesting thought. Uh, I think that could be something that you could try to do. But since his words that he uses over and over again are usually not the most complicated ones, the most difficult ones, I'm not really sure uh, if that would be quite necessary. Yes, being consistent, um, that's true. That could help for being consistent. But on the other hand, I think it's a bit tricky because there are interesting videos out there, for example, on YouTube, where people show his his style or Trump's style of uh, speaking and they show that there is a certain method to it, although it, it looks as if it's rather uh, not well thought through and rather unorganized. Um, there is a certain method behind it, which is basically um, repeating certain terms many times throughout a couple of sentences and having a certain structure, a certain structure in his in his wording. And that's quite interesting to see because it's probably something you would only understand or recognize if you're into that thing. So if you're really um, an expert when it comes to um, this kind of, I don't know, mentoring or motivational uh, speeches and all that, then you probably would easily easily recognize the patterns he uses. I couldn't say I, that I always do, because on the one hand, I'm an interpreter, but I'm not really uh, an expert when it comes to such underlying methods or patterns of, of speech. But it's interesting to see. So I wouldn't say it's it's deliberately used because he's very intelligent and just playing dumb. I wouldn't say that. Um, I don't really consider him to be very uh, intelligent in a way to really do that deliberately. But there is a certain there's a, there is a certain pattern, yeah, and 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 I don't know. It it keeps popping up all the time when he when he speaks. But it, there's a difference though if he's on the campaign trail and he just speaks what comes into his mind, or if he has to do this speech in front of Congress or uh, Congress or at the inauguration where it's obviously a teleprompter speech that uh, he reads, and 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 you also have to um, to really. Uh, keep an eye on which type of speech is it today? Is it just a, something that he really uh, speaks freely um, and what comes to his mind? Or is it really a complete speech that he just reads, basically? Hmm. And just um, a, a last related question to this, and then um, I'd like to hand it over to the other Alex, who has a few interesting questions lined up by now. Um, some, some of the words that he is known for, famous for, like fake news, um, now are also used frequently in, in German media, for example, as English words, so they're not even translated. So I was wondering if you maybe left some of these um, words in without translating them. Was was that um, something that you considered or thought about? Well, I can't take credit for German news using those terms. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I usually prefer to have a German term instead of an English term used uh, in German language. So at the beginning, I really wasn't comfortable with using the term fake news as a German term. I think I refer to it as, as, as Falschmeldungen or Falschnachrichten. Sometimes 
it's also that uh, Lügenpresse thing, but that Lügenpresse. yeah, yeah, but that isn't really the same. Um, it 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 it's in a in a certain in a certain way it goes into um, same direction, but it's actually not the same. The one is I think Lügenpresse is more of a thing where you actually use the term to I don't know. It's difficult to explain. It's, it's just a more political term, and the other is basically just saying there is news, um, but they made it up, and it's 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 not really the same. And and since now fake news is also what they use in in I'd say in German when when reporting on Trump, then obviously it's something you actually also use when interpreting him. So if I were the only one to say. I use the German term Falschmeldung or something like that, that just wouldn't really do me and others a favor, I think. Yeah. Now, before we move on to some other questions that I indeed have lined up just because we've been discussing those internally and on social media, I just want to get your take on the inauguration because that was some bizarre stuff that happened at the inauguration. <laughs> it was. Were you sitting there just literally scratching your head for 40 or so minutes as you were interpreting it? Because the United States were basically doomed, as Donald Trump described it. Carnage. Yeah. Yes. Actually, no. I think I was way too concentrated not to, to do anything wrong. Uh, so I couldn't really sit there wondering if that really was what he said. Mm. Um, I think I really realized that afterwards, when I listened to it again and listened to the, um, uh, to the interpreting that I did, and that's where I could really think about not just how he said it, but what he said and what it means. Um, you're absolutely right. It was some really bizarre stuff i think george w bush framed it like that as well and i would never have I would, differently I'd, i'd never have guessed that i'd see the day where i say oh i'd like to get george w bush back but um yeah whereas on the other hand it wasn't the only bizarre speaker on that day i mean a couple of the other speakers also had some really weird things to say i mean he had um, his, I'd say, his TV preacher with him was also a very strange woman, and um, talked about uh, some spiritual things. And uh, so it, it it was kind of tricky to to get all that and 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 not to to miss what they tried to say. But yes, his speech as a speech wasn't a good one, but at least it was a speech that he read from the teleprompter. So. It was a bit easier, I'd say, to anticipate and to follow than if he had only uh, done his usual stand-up. And um, <laughs> that, that, that would have been a sight to see because I really, I wasn't sure before the inauguration if he'd really stick to the protocol. I mean, it's, it's a, an event that is completely... I'd say coordinated and structured and every part of it is well-trained and everyone knows what to say, when to say. But I thought if there are protesters out there who catch his attention and he basically uh, gets off his, his script or, 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 or feels that um, he has to say something about that, this would have been rather interesting. And that was also a thing I, I couldn't say I wasn't afraid of, but I was a bit nervous that 
he would basically uh, get rid of the the protocol um, because for me as an interpreter it was a good thing that there was this certain type of structure and protocol and his his uh, pre-written speech that for me made it a bit easier to really uh, do traditional interpreting as I'm used to with other speakers. So another thing that I just wanted to discuss simply because it kind of it came up in the preparation for this podcast is that these dozens of articles that have been circulated on social media oftentimes describe the issues that interpreters have interpreting Trump because it kind of gives them the feeling that it makes them sound bad. And we've discussed this before on tonight's podcast that, you know, we're trained to always have complete finished sentences and a thought through structure of our speech. And he just kind of blows all of that up and, well, does his own thing. So in the run up to this podcast, we were discussing if it's a good thing or a bad thing that so many articles with so many interpreters in a way are coming out now saying that they have these issues with him. So the question, I, I guess it is, if it's okay to share these stories about how we as professionals are kind of struggling in a way and are highlighting the fact that he is, well, very different, I would say. Or should we keep our poker face and just pretend like it's interpreting as usual? What do you guys think? Well, my opinion is, or at least my, my impression, because there were so many articles also about this very topic, which which was unusual, is that I think many interpreters and translators kind of felt the need that they had to explain themselves in a way, because they don't they didn't want people to think, well, this interpreter is really bad because he, he won't even finish or she won't even finish a sentence and, and what he or she says doesn't make any sense. And I think some maybe felt the need to point out that it's not their fault, but that it's because of the input that they're getting. Um, and I think in terms of should we share this on social media, should, should this be discussed in the media, which is unusual again, I think yes. I think yes, because... There's lots of talk right now about um, that this is not a normal presidency and that we shouldn't normalize Trump by just keep keeping keep doing things the way we've been doing them always. I think that's that's a point as well that it it really is an unusual situation. So maybe it's it's fine to discuss it. But I don't know what what your take is, Franz. Well, I think we could adapt to the situation, obviously, and I fully agree it's not a normal situation it's not a normal presidency it's not a normal president not a normal speaker who we normally uh, interpret so i don't think it's a bad thing to adjust to the way he speaks when he speaks if you really have to uh, interpret him i think that's okay as long as it doesn't affect your overall interpreting so as long as you don't start doing the same things in speeches of other people um, to be incoherent where they are not. I think that that's okay. I mean, I don't know. Are there really so many people out there who potentially sit there and say, oh, I listen to Donald Trump, but I don't speak English. And so I listen to every word that the German interpreter says and if it doesn't make any sense what he says, I'm going to complain that it doesn't make sense. I don't really see that as a thing. I can't really imagine that being okay. a problem or a case at all. Well, because that is exactly the point that a lot of these articles are making, that interpreters are afraid that they're going to get the blame for a bad delivery. But, you know, oftentimes it's crap in, crap out. And we know this 
But so you, what you just said, Franz, you don't think that the audience would blame this on the interpreter. I mean, I guess by now people know that he's all over the place. Donald Trump is all over the place. So maybe it's fine, but you don't think that there's anything to worry about from our end. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, but if you really want to worry, you will find a reason to do so. <laughs> but I wouldn't really read too much into that. Uh, it's so It sort of seems to me like a rather elaborate academic discussion about a completely unacademic thing. And um, I don't know. No, I, I don't I don't really see the point of that discussion that that would really be a problem. I think I actually agree with the both of you. I don't necessarily think that there is a big issue for for us as a profession. I mean, obviously, as you as we've discussed before, you have to kind of get used to the way of his delivery. But on the one hand, with all these different articles popping up everywhere, I like that the profession is more in the media. You know, that people are actually talking about what we do and our struggles and just generally the challenges of our, of our profession. Um, I just wish that maybe it could have been under President Hillary and the struggles would have been because she has so many awesome policies that we now need to translate. But yeah, I guess every PR is good PR in a way, maybe. <laughs> at least at least he's doing us as interpreters a favor because as you said, yes, there are definitely more stories, articles, interviews and podcasts with interpreters and about interpreters just because of Donald Trump. And hey, that's at least, from our point of view, one good thing that comes off of this presidency. That is very true. But just for the record, the troublesome Terps were here before the Donald. Oh, and they will hopefully be here long after the Donald. <laughs> we hope so, too. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, so that's it for this episode of The Troublesome Terps, and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.